0: racing at the highest level back in the spotlight for the wrong reason the sport again making headlines over cheating and we should learn a new word on the pace line this time but at the very least we will be taught a lesson about chasing the past and we circle back to something we talked about on our first show the rolling stop we'll get some legal advice on the matter thanks for jumping in on the pace line The Paceline, the podcast on two wheels, is a production of FatCyclist.com. Fatty is sitting in. Oh, I don't feel so good. Oh, we'll get to that in just a second. RedKitePrayer.com, the other reason this podcast is rolling, Patrick Brady taking polls. Howdy. Howdy. How are you guys feeling? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I
1: think I might have already said.
0: Uh, no, really. How are you feeling, malaise uh, uh, Well, feverish, and, and sniffles, just,
1: nausea. You know, I just got a cold. Um, and that I would actually love to hear what you guys think in terms of sickness and training. Uh, do you guys do you guys train through sickness? Do you ride even when you're sick, or do you just totally take it off?
2: <laughs> well. Uh, when I called myself a racer back when I had a USAC license and I, uh, thought a missed day was missed fitness, uh, I rode through all sorts of stuff that I just had no business riding through and I don't call myself a racer anymore. And so when I get sick, I get off the bike and, uh, I get over stuff faster now. Um, unfortunately that means a lot more days off the bike because little kids means lots of illnesses. Oh
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They bring it home. You know, see, I do essentially the opposite. And it has nothing to do with training for races. You know, right now, well, I am training for a race. But that aside, even though I have a cold, (laughs) I am still training every day. And the thing I look forward to in training, uh, you know, my time on the bike, is during that hour, hour and a half, two hours that I am on the bike, it's like I have a brief break from feeling lousy. I mean, I actually I'm not going as I'm not going as well. If I look at it objectively, I'm like, oh, okay, I can tell that you know my heart rate is lower, my power is down. But my head clears up and I feel good and I don't feel achy. And it's like I get a brief vacation from the cold. And it was just it, it, and but then afterward of course i feel t- a little you know worse but it, it's worth it to me <laughs> mm-hmm. do you guys get the same thing
0: well yeah i do but as i've gotten older i've tried to be a little wiser about this by saying hey this is my body talking to me it's telling me you're worn down i'm about to make you sick if you don't take some action it's going to get worse so i try to listen to the and pay attention to the signs um and and back off at least a little bit Uh, certainly avoid intensity when a head cold or something starts showing up but like you fatty i think you know um it is kind of a way to get away from the discomfort and you know that feeling in your head and you're feeling clogged up and you just kind of want to remove yourself from that for an hour or so and i think a comfortable ride uh, a, a moderate effort is one way to to deal with that. You just have to be really wise about it. I don't really go in for the wisdom thing much. <laughs> uh, you want some conventional wisdom? Because just before we just before we we talked about this, I looked up the conventional wisdom regarding training while not feeling so good or ill, for that matter. The conventional wisdom is above your neck. If, in other words, if the cold or the symptoms are above your neck, it's okay to go ahead. And get out there and move around a little bit. If it's yeah. below your neck, if it's in your chest, if it's in your stomach, you know, if you're feeling bronchial or or a sinus infection coming on, you probably should head for some rest at that point and go ahead and and miss on your training. Now, there's also a bunch of stuff we can get into about how to resume your training once you do pay attention to your body. But that's the conventional wisdom. Do, do either of you follow conventional wisdom?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean. I That was what guided me Was if it was just inside my head And you know I, I didn't have like body aches And that sort of thing um, I'd, I'd sort of ride through it um, And now As I get well As I get over something Once I notice Oh all I have now Is head congestion That's the moment I get out there Because you know Going for a, an, an hour ride With all that head gunk I come home with half as much head gunk Uh, And so uh, the healing process is aided by cycling. Uh, Let me hasten to add, though, that I don't think I ever had the experience Eldon had uh, or has of, you know, getting on the bike while ill and actually feeling better as I was pedaling. I just continued to feel crappy. And there came a point where. Uh, my marginal intelligence allowed me to process that in a way that was helpful to me.
1: See, I subs- uh, uh, yeah. I subscribe more to the don't be such a baby school of thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, you don't feel good? Oh, get on your bike. <laughs> and and I, I do. I get on my bike and I ride. And while I am riding, I feel fantastic. And then 30 seconds after I'm done, it's like, all of the congestion and all of the nastiness that uh, has been deferred during my ride, it comes back to me in spades. And I guess I figure that it's worth that price.
0: Yeah, but Fatty, currently you have this dungeon of pain set up where you go down into your basement and do these intervals. Uh-huh. So if you have a head cold what happens to the, to the intervals? What happens to the over-unders? You're doing all this lactate threshold work that you're doing. Well, you know, I, um, that's one of the things that I am digging about,
1: uh, having all of your, um, having percentages control all of your efforts. So I know what my FTP is, right. And with trainer road that I'm using, uh, when I'm sick, if I am feeling during the first interval that I am just not going to be able to finish it, I just hit the little minus on it, and it drops it by five percent. You know, I press it again, you know, and I'm going at ninety percent. So I'm still going as hard as I can for a particular interval, but that is just you know ten percent less than when I'm feeling well.
0: Yeah, but the point mm-hmm. of interval training is to is to keep kind of pushing the the your limit to keep touching. The void, if you will. Sure. To, but, to make yourself better. So what's the point of doing an interval when you can't do the interval where you're supposed to do it?
1: Well, for me, and I have no science to back this up, I want to be clear on that. For me, the if any given interval is going to be affecting me physically to a certain degree, but it's going to be affecting me mentally to a much greater degree. Um, I am mentally hardening myself when I do intervals more than I am physically hardening myself. I'm making myself mentally tougher. Mm-hmm. And you the cold sir, helps.
2: You're remarkable.
1: <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and take that in the best possible way. <laughs>
2: you should. You, re- you really should. I, 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 I am not made of stuff quite so stern.
0: Well, I just want to leave folks with, again, the conventional wisdom out there about what to do if you're ill. We, we went into the Above your neck, below your neck, symptoms and what to do. And then if you start missing training time because of your illness, there is this, there's this comeback. There's this way to kind of come back from things. And if you miss a couple of days, you know, the, the thing to do is to come back, stay in your aerobic zone for up to a week, back off the saddle time, not to 50% or so, but get back to your riding. That's if you've only been out for a couple of days. If it's longer than that, again, you have to extend your recovery time too. This, is again, is conventional wisdom, not fatty wisdom or Michael wisdom or Patrick <laughs> wisdom. This is conventional wisdom. This is somebody else's thinking. Again, it's mostly zone two riding if you miss a, a week or, or more due to illness. Mostly zone two, extend that out for a couple of weeks. If you're, If your illness is much worse than that, and, of course, that's when you have to almost backtrack your training and hit the reset button totally on whatever block you might have been in. Go back, do a lot of recovery work, uh, and then come back slowly. And, and only when you're really ready to hit those hard intervals again to go ahead and do those. That, again, is conventional wisdom. Now, while you're ill, you can do other things. Maybe you can't do your fatty intervals, but you can stretch. You can do core training. Uh, some lightweight training again you're just trying to stay out of that anaerobic level keeping yourself from from getting even worse when an illness starts so there's some things you can do minus the bike. i know bike is therapy right fatty and that's and that's why you do it and while you're sick you can work on losing weight especially if it is
1: one of those below the net kind of illnesses you know there's nothing like some good food poisoning to help you get to your
0: race (laughs) weight. Let me get to a little sidebar here. I did my first road race um, uh, a little bit ago, and it was uh, up in Santa Barbara County. It had been raining a little bit. The roads were mucky. It was like a spring classic almost. It was pretty cool, really. And, of course, these farm trucks, they come out of the fields, drive onto the roads, and lay mud and debris and fertilizer and whatever else down the road. Um, Did the race. That night, I woke up in the middle of the night nauseated, uh, feverish. I thought I was down for the count. Now, I bounced back pretty quick, but I have this bizarre problem with racing in in agricultural areas, and they seem to make me (laughs) ill. I'm not kidding. I mean, I've walked away from Bakersfield races with sinus infections. Um, is it the
1: fertilizer or churned soil
0: or what is it? What, I, I'm really looking you? for answers because I, I finally put two and two together just, I think, last year when I got another sinus infection after racing in Bakersfield. I thought there's something going on in these, these ag areas that, that really bother me and make me ill, sometimes violently. Uh,
2: you're Well, there are two th- different things converging here, I think. Uh, one is that, yeah in these agricultural areas you know there's there's just a lot of cow poop there's Mm -hmm. a lot of manure Mm -hmm. and that's getting aerosolized so that you can suck it up you know deep into your body Uh, so you know there's there's that and then there's also the fact that you know you're just in a race you're pushing your body really really hard one of the more remarkable uh experiences I had of my entire racing life was a cross race in which I went deep, 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 and managed to pull out a second place uh, against some very stiff competition. Started feeling sick in the car on the way home, uh, like flu, body aches, chills, all that. Uh, Got home, didn't do any of my to-do list of house chores, curled up on the couch, wrapped myself up in a blanket, was useless for the entire rest of the day, I think I was home by two. Uh, Went to bed that night thinking, oh man, I'm going to miss work tomorrow. Woke up the next morning right as rain. Uh, You know, it was just, uh, I'd never had anything like that in my life. Uh, But I know that can come from,
0: you know, going super deep. Mm -hmm. Well, Fatty, we hope you feel better.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. And one parting thought on writing while ill. If anyone says rule number five to you, while you are ill, you actually have the legal obligation to punch them in the throat. And rule number five is? The HTFU thing from the Voluminati. My my stance on rule number five is well known. Okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of that.
0: <laughs> well, like we no. said, feel better. Thank you. Take it easy yeah. if you need to. Don't be afraid. It's okay. <laughs> hey, coming up next, what's that in your seat tube? Ms. Van oh Uh-oh. Someone's been caught doing something wrong at a very big race. We'll get into that next on The Pace Line. Keep your hands washed. Cover your mouth when you cough. Stay home from work if you are sick. <music> Thanks for finding the PaceLine. Uh, we go to the scandal now at Cross Worlds, and uh, Cross Worlds this year seems deserving of one of those gate-related titles. You know, like Watergate, the Flake Gate, Diesel Gate. We need one for our little incident at Worlds. You know, like Cross Gate. You guys have anything here? Cyclo Gate, something Motorgate. like that. What was that? Motorgate. Gate. Motor Gate would be great. We're talking about uh, <laughs> Femke Van She is accused of being the first rider caught concealing a motor in her racing bike. This happened at UCI Cyclocross Worlds. Uh, UCI President Brian Cookson confirmed the bike in question had a motor concealed in its tubing, in the seat tube. Vandendriesch and her father deny that the bike found in the mechanics pit during the U23 women's race at Worlds was hers, and she claimed the bike in question was sold to a friend a year ago van de Dries faces a ban of at least six months twenty thousand dollar fine the uci has the power to hand out a stiffer punishment she is or was the belgian and european under 23 champion at worlds she was a fave but had mechanical issues and <laughs> crossed the finish on foot pulled out dnf uh, patrick you uh you wrote a bunch on this already on RedKitePrayer.com. Here's one of your quotes. I'm just going to quote you because I thought this was good. This isn't a new form of cheating. It's the same class of cheating as getting on the train with your bike. I remember those days. But it's a a class of cheating that just wasn't practical for more than 100 years. What did you take away from what you saw and what you've heard so far,
2: Patrick? Uh, Well, the fact that the entire cycling racing community wants to burn down the entire field around this rider... I like that uh, because that could really give other writers pause before contemplating doing this. We've been really, really bad at uh, finding ways to discourage people from doing uh, traditional biological doping. Um, But I would like to see this one nipped in the bud. Um, You know, who knows if it's going to be effective, but... Uh, it's nice that everyone's speaking out so vociferously against it. Of course, it is also troubling that, you know, you've got guys uh, like Eddie Merck saying lifetime ban for this. And yet they're curiously silent on why we shouldn't also pursue lifetime bans on people for uh, more traditional forms of doping. Um, I'm at a point where just lifetime bans for them all first offense. Boom, you're done. Uh, I had a reader come back at me with you know well what about supplements what about tainted supplements I was like well uh, you know strict liability stop using supplements hmm is is this case
0: currently still circumstantial or in your minds is it an open and shut deal
2: oh the excuse is just so dog ate my homework it's not my stuff I did not have sex with that woman Right, I'm, I'm thinking
1: I'm more out. of the Monty Python uh, dead parrot sketch is kind of how it feels. <laughs> it's pining for the fjords. <laughs> it's not a dead parrot. It, I mean, it really is. It's, it's a hilarious, hilarious, um, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's There really it's is a sketch to be built there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about the bike company or Villeur? Am I pronouncing that right, Patrick? Your, your yeah. French-Italian is better than mine.
2: Uh, villier. I, I, you know, I didn't know how to pronounce it until one of the company's agents told me. So I, I was with you.
0: We should, it, it shouldn't
1: it be Wilier? I mean, it's sort villier? of like, like wily coyote, but more so wily-er. Totally agree, Fatty. I, <laughs> I totally mean, if you're agree. going to have a bike with a motor in it, you know, the wily coyote idea, you know, that's kind of awesome. It, it would be awesome if it like went really fast in a straight line and then hit a concrete wall or.
2: Right. Yeah, the the only problem here is that we don't have super geniuses running this particular scandal.
1: <laughs> so you're th- so you're thinking that Wiley e. Coyote was a super genius?
2: Well, I mean, self-professed, you, you know, know. But we should well,
1: back up a little bit and say that Villier is in that they're in massively uh, they are pro- possible uh, they are possibly the victimiest. Of all the victims in this, right? No question. No question. This is a great bike company that had nothing to do, as far as I know, with anything here. You can put a, a motor in anything that has a hollow space. And they you know their name is being associated with this and it shouldn't be and it's it's really tragic for them and i, mean, I read somewhere that they're looking at suing is that right i, yes. I think i
0: think that's a legit suit right there right yeah. yeah. they've they've already put they put a statement out almost immediately saying the bike company only provides frames to the team and any device found in that frame, would have been added after delivery. Here's the big quote, though. To safeguard the good name of the company, we will take any necessary legal action against the athlete and anyone responsible for this very serious matter. Yeah, Villier, Villier, Willier, Willier. They are the biggest victim possibly here. I mean, their brand is at stake, is it not, Patrick?
2: They are the only victim. Uh, well, I mean, there is cycling itself. Yeah, they're the other the integrity racers. integrity of cycling. Yeah. Um, well, but she DNF'd, so it's not like she won and well, then was found, and somebody else didn't get their day on the podium. Well, she DNF'd you know.
1: this time,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is <laughs> there is certainly some question about previous performances. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh But going back to yeah, victimhood. Uh, yeah, Villiers is a real victim here. Uh, it's funny because when I brought that point up to the RKP readers, um, they are an unusually intelligent bunch, and they all you know, almost uniformly said, Oh, this won't affect my opinion of them. And it's like, well, yeah, you guys aren't really the point. You're bright. Uh, There's a a huge block Mm -hmm. of people out there. will go, God, I'm never going to ride that bike. It, you know, they, they help somebody cheat. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's protecting against that sort of thinking, you know, which is a broad swath of the public uh, that is really going to be a difficult thing for them to overcome. Although, you know, I certainly hope Uh, that it does happen for them, you know, quickly. And their their swift action on this, I think, is warranted. Mm -hmm.
0: There's been some other crazy stuff surrounding this story. I couldn't believe some of these other details I read in the fallout. Uh, First of all, Femke's brother, Niels, is currently serving a suspension for doping.
2: Not just any doping.
0: Yeah, EPO. EPO, right. It gets better, though. The brother, Niels, and the father... Are facing criminal charges for trying to steal two expensive parakeets from a local pet store in Belgium. They're pining for the fjords. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then back to Villiers, uh, the, some Dutch online retailer, for a while at least, was offering the same cross bike with a motor in it for 5500 bucks online. It's been taken off since. So uh, that's just some of the nutty stuff that's been going on as a kind of a sidelight to this whole circus that we've yeah. heard about. Um, I think more. you guys are missing the really,
1: the really exciting opportunity here. Though, consider this: what if there was a class of racing where this was allowed? Go ahead, put your motor in your bike, mm-hmm. make it the most awesome motor you possibly can, mm-hmm. and dope to the gills. Go for it. <laughs> We would see some class. of the... Fa- and just, you know, a, a hill climb class of, uh, of um, absolute no-holds-barred racing. Imagine Armstrong and Ulrich in their doped-up prime on bikes that give them an extra 100 watts. Mm-hmm. I would pay I, so much money to watch that
2: race. What I do think would be really interesting is, you know, you've got a two-hour race and you've got enough charge for 1 hour of usage. No, same say 1
1: minute of of usage. When do you okay. want to use that? Yeah. When do you want to, when do you want to ignite the afterburners? You get to use it one time. I know where I'd use it. I mean, it, I I would love to have this bike for the final mile of the alpine loop. Uh mm-hmm. you know, my my current my current uh sort of go-to yardstick for how I'm climbing. That uh-huh. final mile, you know, there's a hairpin One mile, it's about 8%. And oh, one minute of an extra 100 watts of power, that changes me from being like a 3.7 watts per kilogram guy to being a 5 watts per kilogram guy.
2: I'm sort of alarmed (laughs) that you know that about yourself.
1: (laughs) Hey, I, I, (laughs) I am way more of a nerd about all of this than I let on. You know, oh, wow. at Sea That's Otter really this so... year,
0: at Sea Otter this year, they're going to have a e-bike race. Now, it, it's all above board. Obviously, everyone knows that everyone has e-bikes, and not going to be any hidden seat tube problems here. But they're going to have an e-bike race at at Sea Otter this year, where you're free to to power up, to plug in and go, and see who has the fastest uh, motor, quote unquote, in quotation marks, I should say. Um, I'm good with that. Yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah. You know, yeah, Mark I'm Barfield, totally Mark Barfield, the guy that kind of uh, was behind the bike doping discovery thing for the UCI, said this one interesting thing before, actually before Cycle Cross Worlds, before this scandal even broke, he he said that he, at the time, this was back in December, that he thought that bike doping had gone on in the pro peloton, but currently it, it was not. And he did say this. He said, personally, I think there's more of a problem at Grand Fondos than anywhere else regarding bike doping. Now, the UCI actually holds a world championship for some type of Grand Fondo world championship. I didn't know this. And, and he thinks the problem may well be at the amateur level where this is existing. I mean, do you guys, when you look next to a guy, a guy next to you at a, at a big event, are you worried that he might have an engine, an actual
2: engine in that C-tube? in a word no um i mean that said you know uh we're all kind of assuming that what was in van and bike was the vivax assist okay um that's the the you know the best produced you know most in production unit out there for this sort of thing um i've seen one of those in action um it's not quiet um I mean, maybe if I was, you know, if I was in a crit doing 28 miles an hour, there's a lot of noise in that sort of circumstance and you might not hear it, but in a Fondo, dude, I would know the guy next to me had one and was using it. There, there would not be any disguising that. Um, and it's like, you know, if that's how you need to get through life, you know, oh my God, go, you know, knock yourself out, kiddo. Um, I, I just, I don't want to be any part of it. You know,
0: fatty in a mountain bike race or ride, <laughs> you could probably get away with it. There's enough, you know, gravel noise going on around you that a guy could probably be running a motor and you well, probably wouldn't pick it up. Oh, and there's so many places
1: that I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I could use it. I could <laughs> if I had three minutes of power. I mean, it, it's and I know this is it, it's wrong and I I understand, but it's it is an intriguing proposition or an intriguing thought. What if you had the ability to just for a couple of minutes have an extra hundred Watts of power, where would you use it in places that matter? You know, we're talking, you know, we all, we seem to have a a special requirement that we always bring up Leadville. So I'm going to bring it up here. (laughs) And I was trying I, to avoid Leadville this year. Yeah, well, you failed. know, <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> but, no, I, I mean, you know, you could just, you wouldn't have to get off the bike on that final three miles of
0: Columbine. Right. Right? Boom. It's up. You're yep. over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not a Columbine. That's not where I'd want it. And Patrick's going to kill us because we're talking about Leadville again. But its it's the trip back power line even after power line going back you know that road climb going back to kevens that's when i want an engine yeah see it's i got you thinking about it i And enough Leadville, that's it i'm cutting leadville off if let's uh, let's go to another l real quick that's (laughs) lamont and i love hearing from greg lamont in times like this and greg has talked now greg famously did a, a video where he had a bicycle and it had a motor in it and he showed people how it can work and everything uh, actually, the, the motor was in a LeMond bike, too. But he talked about this doping, mechanical doping issue, and he laid out actually six points. These are Greg LeMond's six points for dealing with mechanical doping. Yep. First of all, take it seriously. Okay, that's kind of the easy one. But he's, he's saying, look, the UCI kind of not done what they needed to do in this area for a long time. Here's a big one ban bike changes. Ouch. No more grabbing bikes off roofs of cars during races. Seems kind of nuts. But yeah, that's... it could keep a guy from grabbing for a what? Motorized bike, maybe. Tag bikes and sequester them after races like they do in Formula 1. Here comes the podium in Formula 1. Where do their cars go? They go into the paddock. They get sequestered. They get checked out. Not a bad idea, maybe. Use specialist scanners and equipment. Now, the UCI is using uh, some type of magnetic resonance right now to detect um, mechanical devices, or at least uh, engines in bikes. But <laughs> LeMond wants to go downright nutty with this stuff. He sees an area for thermal imaging guns and x-ray scanners. So we'd kind of be treating bikes like they're on some type of terror watch list, almost, with that type of stuff. Uh, focus on all possible areas of mechanical fraud. That would include wheels. There's potential there, right? I mean, the hubs right now, as we've seen, electronic-powered Bikes via the wheel. The hubs are pretty big and pretty obvious, so it's hard to get away with, but maybe there's something there. Lamont thinks that type of cheating has already been attempted. And then, of course, penalties. Uh, LeMond says they're they're weak in this area. We heard that uh, Van Dries is up for, what, 20000 bucks and some type of uh, suspension. He wants to see teams put up a bond. So this would be like a doping bond or a mechanical doping bond. And if they violate the rules the uci would be able to draw out of that bond out of that security and take what and it'd be a large amount like 30 million bucks is what Lemon says that the team should put up that if they're caught then boom they lose that bond it's like bail money is gone almost those okay. are Lemon's six points for dealing with
2: mechanical dope let's go back through them point by point i i i want to respond to these i really do okay <clears> okay <throat> <laughs> um okay, first take it seriously. yes, completely agree. we need to take this seriously. it needs to be addressed two ban bike changes no, that's a big fat overspilling sack of no um because what it means is that in the tour, no bike changes means suddenly a guy who's capable of riding is out of the race entirely. If you're gonna sequester bikes, Point number three, uh, after the race is over, you know, you can do all of a team's bikes, not just the ones that were definitely used in that day's stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's that much harder. You know, it's not like a team shows up to a race with 30 extra bikes per rider. Um, so just check all of the bikes. Um, so that takes care of two and three. Also, cyclocross, you ban bike changes, you kill cyclocross. Come on, really? Um, and then uh, special scanners and equipment? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Use every tool at your disposal. Um, number five: all possible areas of mechanical fraud. This is the one where I want people to think uh, critically about this. Um, you know, we we were just talking about the problems that uh, Villiers. Uh, sp- Uh, faces relative to their reputation with being associated with, uh, you know, this this form of cheating. Um, I really think that, you know, the the black eye, as I called it here, is something that will uh, really inform the actions of, you know, all the manufacturers out there. I don't think Zip is going to want to ever have anything to do with you know electromagnets put in their wheels you know same for envy reynolds all these big brands um they don't want to be associated with this and so you know if you're going to go looking for this stuff look for some you know open mold you know black label wheel well not black label that's now oh black ink is the new brand so yeah black label some open mold wheel is where you need to be concerned um if you're seeing dimpling like a a zip wheel i think it's pretty safe to conclude you know that that's going to be clean go ahead and check it but I just don't think you're gonna find anything there um, his final point penalties yes absolutely yes very very stringent penalties yeah. but that that you know that bond equal to uh, a, a, a team's budget that's that would just kill teams you would you would reduce the number of pro teams out there by three quarters. But
0: something I, I like the bond idea. I think the amount is a little high, but I do like it. It it, it has something hanging out there. There's some established risk for the teams. They they know that. Look, we have to watch our mechanics, our riders, everyone to make sure that that nothing nefarious is going on here, and otherwise we're going financially. We're going to take it. I mean, that's that stuff hurts. I have a simple I, solution: electromagnetic pulse.
1: Give every team car the ability to discharge an EMP anytime they want. They suspected someone else's riding with one, just press an EMP and boom, all of a sudden, no more electronically powered bikes.
2: Now, see, this is the kind of out of the box thinking that we need at the UCI. <laughs>
1: and it would be so much fun. Of course, there would be the problems with nobody's shifting would work anymore either. But,
0: right. but, but that would be kind of
1: fun. You know, that would, that would mean like 30 seconds of everyone being on a fixie.
0: <laughs> Not terrible.
1: Oh, well, I Not guess more of a single ideas. speed than a fixie, but you get the point. That would be kind of awesome. <laughs> right, right. I
0: like it a lot. Yes. Well, the, yeah, the worst is probably yet to come for Femke Vanden She We're still yet to find out about her penalty and what's going to happen to her career. It's probably over, but uh, so there's that to come yet from the UCI. And of course, any of these points that they may want to take up from Mr. LeMond might be another road they want to take.
2: Oh, uh, you know, one other quick little thing that we really need to get out here is that you're not going to do, you're not going to get a, uh, a motor into a bike without the complicity of the full team. The mechanics are going to know if the mechanics find out that you've doctored your bike, uh, then they're going to tell team management. Uh, and once management knows, either they're going to put an end to it or it means that they're part of it. Uh, so this is one of those things where it, you can't do this in private, like inject steroids or EPO or something like that. This is something that uh, when it turns up, we're going to know instantly that the entire team is a part of it.
0: Yeah, and hopefully there'll be a Betsy Andreu or an Emma O'Reilly standing there watching or hearing this happen and you know have the strength to come forward and report it because that's the tough bit. Getting people yeah. to, to rat yeah. out their, their their fellow riders.
1: All I can say is that my friends probably ought to start watching to see the size of my seat bag and perhaps the type of bottles I use to change. Uh, corresponding with sudden ability to
0: out sprint them on 12% climbs. <laughs> All right, up next, uh, whatever happened to Italian road bike handling? Uh, This is a segment we're going to get into about an article that Patrick wrote. And I think in the process, too, you're going to learn a new word here on The Pace Line. Welcome to the campus of PaceLine University and our course, AP Bike Geometry. Uh, this is for our advanced listeners and students of bicycle angles and behavior. The first subject on the syllabus includes a reading assignment pulled from the pages of RedKitePrayer.com. The research and writings of Professor Patrick Brady. His thesis entitled, A Word I Admittedly Had to Look Up. Anachronistic. Anachronistic. That's the Greek word, or a Greek word, I should say. Anna, or against, and chronos or time. Anachronistic. Can we all say it? Anachronistic. <laughs> I knew you could. <laughs> I knew I could, yeah. With a little help from, from my friend online. Anachronistic. She's, she's wonderful. I really like her. Patrick, he wrote... Actually, all seriousness, this is a really neat article um about whatever happened to dot 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 whatever happened to the way my bike used to handle my italian ride used to handle tell me uh, mm-hmm. first of all where did you come across this word and put it into context with what you were trying to say about road bike handling the way we know it now
2: uh well an anachronism uh it, it's something that let's let's try to keep it simple it's something that is historically out of place uh and i'll i'll just kind of leave it at that like a knee Uh,
1: warmer being used as a pop filter on your microphone
2: well, no, but that is pretty funny in I just way. wanted to get that out there. Se- yeah, you're hearing Folks, secrets that what, about how the paste
1: line is put together. That is what uh, Patrick actually is using as
0: a pop filter. A no,
2: I'm, I'm using a base layer this week. Oh, fantastic. Okay, let
0: me get you guys back on point again. It's behind yeah. the scenes stuff. Here's what you wrote, Patrick, and this might, might help the thoughts get going. You can sum up the difference between Italian rides and American rides this way. The Italian bikes had a lower bottom bracket and more trail compared to American bikes. This seems to be kind of the, the point you were jumping off from as to as to what's happened to the way bikes handle.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, my my interest in writing this piece was to take something that was sort of esoteric and boil it down into... Uh, a rather, you know, easy to chew, simple, single idea. Uh, and that is that uh, there's a lot of marketing out there from Italian bike companies that talks about how great their bikes handle. And this all stemmed from a conversation I was ha- having with someone who was talking about how much he loved uh, his Italian bike, how great it handled, how he had always loved the handling of bikes from this particular brand, uh, and I don't really want to single them out because it's something that you know does kind of happen across the category. Uh, and I said, well, you n- know, the geometry is different from what they used to be, and he was dumbfounded and just didn't really believe me at first. I was like, no, like they have a lot less trail now, higher bottom bracket, shorter wheelbase. It's it's just it's a different bike. Um, why and is it, so I,
0: Why is it a different bike?
2: Well the nature of the handling, the character of the bike, what you feel when you get on that bike, it just behaves a little differently. This is not to say one is better than another, they're simply different, okay? Um, And so the bottom line here is that uh, bikes coming out of Asia, carbon fiber bikes coming out of Asia, uh, these days, and this is partly a function of how stiff they're able to make bikes. Um, they've got seven centimeters of bottom bracket drop, uh, trail in a range of you know 5.3 to 5.6 uh, centimeters. Um, in my size, you know, 56, 57, 58, somewhere in there, they're gonna have right about uh, 99 to 100 centimeter wheelbase. That's what these bikes are. They all handle fairly similarly. They're gonna be a little different from, from one brand to another, but they're all kind of of a class. Whereas those steel uh, road bikes coming out of Italy from the eighties and nineties, um, they were a little different in the sixties and seventies. There was a bit of an evolution there, but as a class, uh, there was a thing that you could refer to as uh, Italian stage race geometry. It was a lower bottom bracket. We're talking uh, seven and a half centimeters of bottom bracket drop sometimes a little more uh it was a longer wheelbase uh frequently 101 102 centimeters uh in my size um and it was uh more trail 5.9 to 6.2 centimeters and the upshot is that on mountain roads uh at speed these bikes felt really solid uh they were very calm You felt like you could take any turn at any speed and just sail through it. And there were bikes for, you know, day in, day out riding. Um, I bumped into Joe Breeze on Saturday at this open house uh, for uh, Bruce Gordon's new little museum of of, uh, personal bike history. Uh, really, really neat space. We should talk about some other time. But Joe and I got to talking about bike geometry and he's like, yeah, I know those bikes. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't, I don't do stage races. So when I was building bikes, I went for something that was, you know, a lot like the Chinelli's, uh, higher BB, quicker handling, uh, really lively, you know, something for a guy just riding one day. I didn't have to worry about, you know, being out there doing stage races, and so it was fun to get that perspective from him. Mm-hmm. So what
0: what happened to the Italian DNA, Professor Brady? Why did the Italians not f- make sure their DNA, their behave, their their handling behaviors, made it over to the Asian factories?
2: Um, the best I've been able to find find out from anyone is that when uh italy went to asia for production of carbon fiber frames rather than set up their own factories in italy uh it was the guys in sales uh and the executives from the companies not the you know not the in the trenches uh builders who went over uh to forge these agreements and they didn't take italian geometry with them uh they simply went with uh what was the uh, um the established american geometry uh that was there so the higher bottom bracket uh a little less uh trail um little shorter wheelbase um it was they simply were uh ordering off a a menu in a manner of speaking um i've heard this from uh, you know a couple of sources no one's absolutely certain what happened uh and you know, if you ask someone with one of the Italian bike companies why their uh, geometry changed, they'll just tell you it didn't. Mm. Uh, and so it's like, well, I can look at your geometry charts, uh, but they also treated uh, geometry as uh, a, a trade secret, uh, which was kind of laughable. Mm. Um, so, I you know, the big thing was that transition to Asia for the production of uh, of carbon fiber bikes um, and. Part of the driver for that geometry in the first place uh, was the American government, if you can believe this, the CPSC. Uh, they have uh, regulations regarding bicycle geometry as pertains to pedal strike, and so that's a function of lean angle, mm-hmm. and they didn't want you to be able to hit a pedal at a certain uh, angle. I, f- I forget what that actual angle is. But the way, you know, most bike companies did the math, because they didn't actually specify uh, what your bottom bracket drop had to be, they specified that you couldn't strike it at said angle. Um, And so. That's an easy
0: get around, though. You just put shorter cranks on. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, The upshot is that, by and large, everyone ended up at about seven centimeters of bottom bracket Mm -hmm. drop. Yeah. Uh, So uh, that was. uh, that was the driver,
0: mm-hmm. Fatty. This has been quite a quite a class. What have you What are you drawing away from this about how bikes should handle? What's your expectation out of out of a bike when you get on it, as far as handling is concerned? I I think that
1: I would not be able to tell the difference. Um, you know, I've been riding for twenty years, and I get on a bike, and generally I have the sensation that it either fits or it doesn't fit. What I would love to see is for the given person who notices the millimeter differences and the feel of a bike from 20 years ago versus the feel of a bike now and the geometry, paint two bikes identically with a different geometry and find out a hundred, you know, have a hundred people ride them and find out how many of them
0: can tell the difference. Um, probably Patrick if he's in the group, he would yeah. be one. Uh, yeah. So I, I'd like to say I probably could. I am fairly sensitive to that type of thing. Um, people all the time asking me, you know, you have two road bikes, aren't they just two road bikes? I go, no, 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 they have completely different behaviors. Yeah. Based on their geometry. I mean, and I think that there are
1: there are people like you who are like that, but I think that there are people who think they are like that but aren't that what they are getting caught up in is the emotion as a uh something i am not proud of but which i have actually done um there was a guy who was a millimeter guy you know a half millimeter guy and he was always fiddling with his bike and adjusting his seat post up and down to you know tiny tiny variances And while his bike was in the shop one time, we dropped it a full centimeter and without telling him. And And he did the ride (laughs) without noticing that there was the difference. And then you told him. Uh Uh-huh. And And then... He suddenly, oh, well, yeah, my knees were hurting and so forth. And and that then he had all kinds of reasons why he had noticed it, but he hadn't said anything during the ride itself.
2: <laughs> That's funny. I mean, you, you bring up a really interesting and important point. You know, if we were talking like just a, a two millimeter change in fork rake, uh, I agree that would be uh, below the threshold of perception uh, for virtually everyone um you know that that threshold of perception is you know it's a real thing there's a lot of changes you can make below which no one will notice um but uh my point with uh the difference in geometry is that you know these are these are all rather small changes in the grand scheme but added up they do rise to something where you you don't have to be the bike equivalent of a, a super taster uh, to be able to tell the difference hmm. if if I put you on um, you know uh, a, a, a nice um, you know a well-made uh, American steel bike made with American geometry and then I got <clears throat> uh, a Moser leader ax that I reviewed back in 1997 and I put you on both of those bikes and I sent you down a mountain that you know in utah um you'd you'd know the difference you would tell the difference
1: you know that may be that may well be uh as a counterpoint and, and maybe this isn't even a counterpoint but just me wanting to tell a story but this <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to make everyone think that hey we should not go to the same bike shop that fatty goes to but um <laughs> and this is not one i did but simply that i just observed but Uh, We had a weekly mountain bike hill climb race that was just a a, a thing with a group of friends. And this is several years ago. Um, One of the guys who was generally a really fast guy had brought his uh, bike in and the bike shop kid, as a joke, and this, I mean, so much work went into this. He would, he, he took the time to Uh, And this is back when, you know, everyone used tubes, not tubeless, filled his mouth with water and then pushed, you know, and, you know, basically spat water into the front and rear tubes until there was about, I don't know, I would say probably half a pound of water in each of the tubes and then filled them up. Um, And of course that's rotating weight. And the guy just had a miserable time, but he thought it was himself. And, and, and that's the, you know, lost it badly and, you know, then, you know, let him know and so forth. But the, the thing is, he didn't, he, it didn't occur to him that he suddenly had an extra half pound in his front and rear wheels of rotating weight. He thought that he was just having a bad day, and it is so difficult to separate those two things: how you are feeling versus how your bike feels. Um, I don't know. I for myself, and I, I'm just coming out and saying, I'm not one of those guys who can tell. I'm like I, I I think that I'm having a good day, or or maybe it's my bike is great, or who knows. But I you know I just can't tell.
0: <laughs> Boy, millimeters, wow. you're, you're changing guys' bikes by millimeters and adding fluid to them. That's uh, a interesting <laughs> bike shop, Thaddy. That's Thank, dastardly. Thanks for the confessions. We appreciate it. Uh, well, I could talk uh, for eons uh, about bike geometry, especially with Patrick. He's uh, a wealth of knowledge in this area. Go to RedKitePrayer.com. You can uh, check out his article. You want to look for the one titled? Anachronistic. Open that one up give it a good read. Um, pa- Patrick is, and I don't mean to like lather this guy because he is a partner, but uh, he wrote uh, such a good article in a, in his magazine called Asphalt. It was about, bike geometry, that I still have it. How long ago was that, Patrick, Did you wrote that article? Or how long has it been since the magazine? Uh, oh God. Uh, that, that was no.
2: like, I wrote that almost 14 years ago.
0: Yeah, and I still have the article today and refer to it. That's how much the man knows about a uh, geometry. So have a look at um, anachronistic If you want to know more about whatever happened to the way Italian bikes handle. Uh, We're going to stick with the gear theme coming up next. Into the garage we go. Shimano's checking in. SRAM will be checking in into our garage segment coming up next on The Pace Line. (music) Into the garage we go, now on the pace line, and actually, uh, we're checking out our workbench in the garage, where we find a a couple of items that uh, some of our favorite companies have been working on and talking about. First of all, Shimano, guys. Shimano says they have tested wireless shifting, but says there's no demand for it. SRAM, of course, would beg to differ, because they have eTap now, and it's all the rage, Uh, Got a good look at bike and man, people were just talking about it everywhere. The install videos have started to come out on Tram ETAP. Makes it look pretty easy. I don't know, Shimano, but they say their top level teams are not asking for it, and there is a lack of confidence in the entire idea of wireless shifting. How could this be?
2: Oh, man, this is a mess. Um, I actually had a meeting with <laughs> Shimano recently, and. Uh, first it needs to be acknowledged that the guy who said this works for shimano in the uk um he's he wasn't really someone authorized to speak on behalf of the company about this and so uh i can say that uh shimano employees in the u.s are utterly alarmed at this and you know we're banging their heads with pieces of wood after that came out uh Everyone knows that there's demand for it. People like the idea of wireless, okay? Uh, Shimano gets that. This guy might not, but Shimano gets that. Uh, Their thing is that they don't release uh, a technology or make a change in technology until they're certain it's bulletproof. You know, for about five minutes, there was a a Shimano carbon fiber crank uh, as part of their 7800 uh, series of Dura Ace. They managed to make it, it was, I want to say, like 10 grams lighter, but no stiffer uh, than aluminum. And they discontinued it because they decided it just it wasn't worth it. It was crazy expensive, but wasn't actually superior to what they could do in aluminum. So they stopped it. Uh, that's always been their MO, is they will, they will go with the technology once they're certain it improves upon the current situation. Mm-hmm. And this is the company that
0: came out with DI2. Look, they were in SRAMs. They were in Shram's boots not too long ago. People were looking at them cross-eyed, going, "Who needs electronic shifting? No one needs that. Come on!" But Shimano stuck with it, and now look—now you see it in a number of locations, including on mountain bikes. Um, so it's—I I was having understand, trying to understand if this was just them trying to position themselves, spin it their way a little bit. Ah, oh, that Shramy tap. Look the other way. It's really not necessary. Or if they were really being honest here, like, no, there's no demand? Really, it seems hard to believe, doesn't it, Fatty? You know, I am going to say that
1: the demand is for sure there, and the idea of just so easily um, affixing your derailleurs and the batteries and the levers, and then you're done, and no wiring, that is such a beautiful idea. But I don't do any of my own work anyway. I
2: (laughs) I have a guy
1: <laughs> who does my work. Check out racercycleservice.com. Uh, my, you know, this guy's been my mechanic for twenty years. So it ma- it would make his job wow. easier. Um, would it make my life any easier? I don't know. But the fact is, um, and I'm I'm going to come off as a Shimano fanboy, but I'm also a SRAM fanboy. Uh, for last year, I rode with the um, with the XTR 2 on my mountain bike. And it was such a phenomenal experience. I mean, just wonderful. Uh, One paddle uh, shifting both the front and rear derailleur at the right time for the setting up the right gear. It was just so amazing. And the year before, I was riding with uh, XX1, and it was so amazing. Mm -hmm. What I (laughs) love has not a ton to do with whether we are wireless or wired, but the fact that there is is an incredible level of innovation happening right now and sram is there shimano is there i assume that campy is there i just you know i don't ride with it myself and you know whether regardless of where the wires are how many there are or whether it is mechanical or or electronic
0: stuff has just gotten so good mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> and I, yep. I am just loving it so that's uh, let's get to shram then they're pushing the envelope yet again they seem to be the company that sure that does this currently and now we're hearing that they are close to releasing a 12 speed cassette it would be a 1050 cog set called the eagle it would be in their XO one line or their x01 line and looks like we probably could see this at sea otter that would make sense now the 12th cog would kind of overlap the hub flange um similar to what shimano does with the new 11-speed xtr you'd have this 400 percent range and it would really i mean if you're talking about a 1050 cassette that, that's uh, a 12-speed cassette that's a major major deal but Maybe the bigger deal is that would just eliminate the front derailleur altogether. What would we need those oh, for? Oh, easy, easy,
2: easy, easy. No crazy talk here, please.
0: <laughs> I I spent the morning looking at one by systems, uh, with this in mind. In fact, going man, it, it's gonna we're close, aren't we? We're close to getting rid of the front. At least SRAM seems like they want to get rid of the front derailleur, and with oh, a 1050, isn't that what we're doing?
2: I live in a place that has, you know pretty good hills and occasional mountains um you know and lots and lots of steep stuff i was i was looking at a strava ride yesterday and there was 19 and 20 percent stuff uh i did in my ride yesterday uh at least as reported by strava um you know i if we do the math on a 10 50 12 speed cassette there are some five tooth jumps in there um you know for, for time trials, team time trials, and individual time trials, I used to run a thirteen eighteen straight block. That was one tooth jumps. Uh, now I'm expected to be happy about a five tooth jump. I'm, there could even be a six tooth jump in there. I don't I don't know. I haven't seen the actual breakdown on how they expect these steps to go. But you know, if you do say a three tooth jump from a ten to thirteen. My legs are not going to be happy about that. They we're, are not going to be cooperative. You do you know? get the extra cog, so it's
0: oh. twelve. Woo! <laughs> that mitigating is not getting to you. Huh? You don't. You don't. You're not buying into that. Fatty though, mountain bikers got to be up, jumping up and down for something like this, don't you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. But we're already uh, we're already used to not riding with a front derailleur. I, you look at any bike. Um. no, I, I shouldn't say any bike, but most of the bikes I see around here, and we certainly have a lot of climbing. But everyone is running one buys right now, and having a little bit of a smaller cog jump sounds pretty good. Uh, but you know, honestly, the uh, what I would what I would love to have is the Shimano uh, e shifting with compared paired with the SRAM uh one by setup and we got the best of both worlds.
2: See, I'd I'd want XTR synchro, you know, so one shifter, uh-huh. but I'd still want two chain rings so that I get could get the small jumps by alternating between the two chain rings as I moved through that uh ten fifty cassette. Yeah. I just think they're gonna be some absolutely enormous gear jumps in there and you're gonna be going, well that one's too big and ooh no, that's one that one's too easy and you know, I I like the smaller jumps between uh cogs and I just I think that's gonna be a really huge spread. I
1: hear what you're saying, but if you had stronger legs it wouldn't be a problem. Ooh, Ooh.
0: Ooh. that hurt. <laughs> that I'm, did I'm, hurt. I'm gonna have
2: to put some aloe on after this. <laughs>
0: Well, it seems like mountain bikers do have less of a problem with one by I think because the terrain is just so different I mean you know roadies it rolls more the changes in pitch aren't as dramatic as they are in mountain biking so roadies are are more into the fine tuning of what gear they are in mountain bikers tend to power through things a little bit more they handle the steep pitches and the jumps to to some downhills uh, much more dramatically so the one by system seems to just slot right into them. Next question is for SRAM is can they convert more road applications? I mean, on their current force one by stuff, they talk about it being used in triathlons and for TT bikes and all sorts of things like that. Um, So clearly they are they're pushing the envelope once again going 12. And uh, 1050. That is quite a cassette and will call for quite a rear derailleur, too, to handle that kind of chain wrap. Hey, guys, let's uh, segue right into the feedback segment. And we find just one item in there uh, this week, and it's actually something we've touched on before on the show. San Francisco Mayor Ed Lee has made good on his threat to veto legislation that would have deprioritized ticketing cyclists who safely roll through stop signs. He said, Mayor Lee did, the ordinance does not promote balanced public safety for all the diverse users of our streets. Rather, it trades safety for convenience. So the Idaho stop law, as it's known, will not be happening in San Francisco for the time being. San Francisco supervisors had passed that ordinance previously. Now, we talked about that ordinance in our first show, and we talked a lot about our treatment of stop signs, how it affects our reputation as cyclists. I heard a great interview on the FaddyCast, in fact, with a cycling lawyer Megan Hotman. Now, Fatty, you guys talked about a lot of great and useful things during that interview, but you also touched on this topic about the Idaho stop. And Megan, who almost exclusively represents cyclists injured in crashes, offered her perspective on rolling through stop signs. The conduct of, of every cyclist affects every cyclist. It's on really all of us to always be obedient and compliant. And so right. if you don't if you don't have an Idaho stop where you live, an Idaho stop law, you need to stop. Doesn't mean you have to put your foot down, no, but you have to stop your movement. Cyclists are required to follow the same rules as motor vehicle operators. And so I think that's part of where societal bias comes from, to be honest. Yeah. And I make a lot of advocates mad when I say that, to be to be completely candid.
1: And, but that's your experience and you're talking to people who have cases that you know actual issues that they're having to that they're having to solve so I I'm going to go ahead and take your perspective as a good valid one such a great interview I had with Megan and she makes a really good point and I want to differentiate between culpable and what is the right thing to do I would say we should never expect as cyclists to think of ourselves as responsible if a uh if of a driver Hits us or gets uh, gets angry at us. That is not our fault, and I don't think that's what Megan is saying. But we all do have the ability to act as really positive ambassadors for the for the thing that we love for cycling, and that is something that I am actually sort of working on. I love the you know I love cycling so much. I want people to not be angry at me just because I happen to be on a bike. So yeah, I'm stopping at stop signs. I am making more of an effort
0: to wave. Yeah, it was a really great interview, Fatty. There's plenty more there. She talked about uh, conduct during group rides. She talked about her career as a competitive cyclist. Very interesting person. Um, You asked her pointedly about which insurance companies perform the best when a claim is made on them. So Really good uh, information in that interview. It's at FattyCast.com. Look for the Megan Hotman interview with our very own Fatty. So thanks for that, buddy. Anything else with the FatCyclist.com or the FattyCast before we let you go? Oh, I would
1: just say get better soon, Megan. The weekend after we had that interview, she was in a fat bike race and broke her clavicle. So, Ooh. Uh, yeah, Megan is not um impervious mm-hmm. to <laughs> to damage and no cars involved just a, a bad
0: moment on a fat bike ah, too bad well great interview again so go check that out at fattycast.com and Patrick been keeping a pretty close eye on redkiteprayer.com seems like you have a post going up every few hours these days you've been pretty busy
2: uh I'm trying to up our output some you know and that's in part thanks to contributors like yourself mm-hmm. so yeah we're we're
0: keeping busy. What is, what's the big thing you're working on right now? What do you like the most?
2: Well, I've got a travel piece about visiting uh, Eldon's Neck of the Woods uh, this past Labor Day. Uh, I did a trip to Park City, did a bunch of mountain biking. So working on that and also working on a review of the Look 765, their mm-hmm. Fondo bike, uh, which um, it, it kind of an unusual one there in that the first couple l- rides, I wasn't really wild about it. And then, uh, as I rode it more, kind of really came to appreciate it, uh, then took it to Southern California and really fell in love with it. So,
0: yeah, We saw you on that bike at Winter Press Camp. There's some Winter Press Camp entries up there, too. Check out some of the new products Patrick and I saw at Winter Press Camp uh, here in uh, January. Some... Good, cool, good stuff coming out soon. Uh, This podcast, by the way, is now in wide distribution, guys. We're on uh, iTunes. Yay. Uh, We should be on Stitcher anytime now. Of course, you can find it at redkiteprayer.com. If you stumble over to to fatcyclist.com, Fatty will point you in the right direction, too. So you should be able to sign up for this podcast, uh, download it, or subscribe to it. Or use your Android phone and get attached that way to it. Uh, Lots of ways to stay in touch with the paceline. And then at redkiteprayer.com, we also have show notes and links to stuff we've talked about uh, on the show, and usually a picture too that goes along with what we've been uh, discussing here. So find us on all those locations. Our next show is already in the works, so we will be talking to you soon.